Good morning, my name is Jamie. I'll be honest with you, we could just keep singing that song, and uh, I, I feel a little bit of um, not sure that I even want to say anything right now. Because in our culture, in our world, many of us do not see Jesus high and lifted up. We see coronavirus as stronger than Jesus. We see hate as stronger than Jesus. We see the stock market going up and down as better and stronger than Jesus. You say, how is that? Because our emotions go up and down based on those things rather than Jesus. I'm preaching from the book of Revelation, and something, I'm going to get to the sermon in a second, and something about the book of Revelation that you need to know is that John sees this vision, and there's a lot of terrible things that happen in the vision, but there is only one who's on the throne, and his name is Jesus. And everything in the book of Revelation, which is what's happening at the end, what is going to happen at the end, including great bloodshed, great turmoil, great pain, great sickness and pandemic, all of it is under the shadow of the glorious Jesus who stands as the Lamb who was slain, who by his blood has ransomed people from every tribe and people and tongue and language. So I just want to say this morning... I've been asking the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see Jesus because when our eyes see Jesus properly, all this other stuff fades away. In my good Baptist days, we sang a song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So who can stop the Lord Almighty? Not COVID. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Not the election. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Not riots. Not protests. Not racial tension. All of that will be swallowed in the glory of Jesus in the end. Okay. I better start this sermon before I preach another sermon. Hi, I'm Jamie. <laughs> I serve as associate pastor here. I get riled up when I'm worshiping. And so it's hard for me sometimes to get my act together. We are in a series called Rethink, exploring the questions, the, the, the basic questions of Christianity. And the question we're going to be looking at today is the question, what is eternal life? But before I jump into that, I just want to give everybody a heads up about next week. Next week is our final week in this series of Rethink, and we're going to do next week a little bit differently. We need you to prep for the message time for next week. We need you to prep. So I need you to be looking at Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 19 this coming week in preparation for Sunday. Matthew 7, 15 to 29. The question is, what's next, Jesus? That's, this is a preview for next week. So I need you to look at that. And Dennis and I and the leadership, we're going to be moving into a new sermon series on the life of David. And that series is going to have a lot more interaction. So if you haven't looked at the passage 
for the coming up sermon and for the coming message, you're gonna miss out on what's happening. So we're starting the practice and the rhythm of that for this Sunday. So take a note, start looking at Matthew 7, 15 to 29 in preparation for next week. So let's look at this week. The question is, what is eternal life? It's interesting because um, COVID is forcing everyone to deal with mortality, isn't it? Like people are starting to ask the question, am, am I gonna die? <laughs> am, I, am I gonna die of this thing? And what happens when I die? Where do I go? What am I gonna experience? What am I gonna see? What am I gonna feel? It's forcing the question. The good thing is the word tells us about eternal life. So that's what this message is on. What is eternal life? The sermon structure is like this. We're going to have four misconceptions about eternal life that I'm going to talk through. Four misconceptions. We're going to walk through Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. We're going to look at four misconceptions about eternal life. Then I'm going to make some practical applications, and then we'll be finished. So let me pray, and then I'm going to go after the text. We're going to be Revelation 21, 1 to 8. Abba, I thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that you open our eyes to the glory of Jesus, and that you are the great teacher and the great guide and counselor. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you give us eyes to see Jesus, that you would teach this morning, that you would awaken in our hearts a zeal and a passion for Christ. So we give you this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, four misconceptions. The first misconception about eternal life is this. Eternal life equals going to heaven when you die. That's the first misconception. Eternal life equals going to heaven when you die. The reason I'm saying this is a misconception is because there's actually a lot of confusion about what actually is happening in eternal life. For instance, people will think that eternal life is us floating on a cloud with wings and a harp or a bass if you're Wayne, right? On a, with a harp and we're just floating in this ethereal, nebulous thing in heaven. That's one of the concepts that people have about eternal life. Let me, let me just say that. If that's eternal life, that's boring and I don't want it. Good thing that's not eternal life. A couple things. We are not angels. We will not become angels in eternal life. Can I just say that? How many times have you heard, well, heaven earned another angel? No, no. You don't become an angel. You are a human being. That would be like a dog goes to heaven and becomes a cat. We are different species. Angels are angels. Humans are humans. Are y'all following me? So I don't, I don't go into eternal life and like, I got wings and now I'm an angel. And I'm flying around on clouds. So just a couple of things. Heaven is where God lives. Earth is where we are. Eternal life is not going there. We're going to look at it in the text. Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2. John sees this vision. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Everybody say, out of heaven. 
out of heaven from God. Out of heaven from God. Follow me. Eternal life is a new place. It's a new place. God is in heaven. We're on earth. And there's a great remodeling job. God's house and our house are going to be remodeled into the same house. Are y'all following me? So there's a new heaven that is fashioned, and a new earth is fashioned, and it is a new thing. Eternal life is not going to heaven. It's a new place where God and man are together in a new heavens and a new earth. Both places are remodeled into a great place together. Heaven is a spiritual reality, and it is unseen. Earth is a physical reality that is seen. And the unseen and the seen are merged together in eternal life. Are y'all, are y'all following me on this? We are together. That means a couple of really cool things. You're not floating around for eternal life because you have a physical glorified body. You see, this new heaven, a physical place, is recreated into something glorious. We actually have a glorified physical body. Now, it's not going to be like this. I mean, as, as felt as I am, it will not be exactly like this. It will be a glorified body. Let me show you the text. Philippians 3, 20 to 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In eternal life, we will have physical glorified bodies in the new heaven and the new earth. And guess what? That body can eat and walk and do physical things. You say, how, how do we know that? Well, we know it from Jesus, his resurrected body. When he came out of the grave after three days, Luke 24, 39 to 43, Jesus comes up to his disciples and says, see my hands and my feet? It is I myself. Touch me and see. He says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said, have you anything here to eat? I love Jesus. Right? Resurrected Jesus. Hey, you got something to eat? Because I'm, I'm hungry. Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it before them. Your body and my body will be like the glorified body of Jesus. By the way, you would get to eat. Thank the Lord, right? I don't know if it's gluten-free. I don't know. I don't know. There's no allergies. I don't know. But we get to eat. We have a physical reality. So a couple of just things to be thinking about. Stop thinking about becoming an angel. Stop thinking about flowing on a, cl- on a cloud. You have a physical body. And when we pray for physical healing, we believe in that the power of God is available for physical healing right now. When we pray for physical healing, we've got to understand, the Spirit of God will answer every single prayer we pray for physical healing, whether it's right now or when we see Jesus face to face. When I pray for someone who has cancer, that cancer will be destroyed at some point. It may be right now or maybe when that person sees Jesus face to face. So there, there are implications 
our bodies are good things. We don't have a Gnostic understanding where this is bad. If I can just get free of this, then all is well. That's not true. Our bodies are good. They're created by God, and they will be redeemed and restored and glorified. Next, second misconception about eternal life is this. Eternal life is primarily a place. That's the second misconception. The thing that people believe about eternal life, that's not actually true. Eternal life is not primarily a place. You say, Jamie, you just spent all this time talking about a place and a physical reality. There's a mansion, there's pearly gates. We, we, we know there's, there's this stuff when we think about eternal life. Important to understand, eternal life is not primarily a place, but it's a person. Eternal life is a person. Eternal life is not primarily geographical, but it's relational. Let me say that again. Eternal life is not primarily geographical. It's not a place that I go. It's relational. It's a relationship I enjoy. Let's look at the text. This is Revelation 21, 2 to 4. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Hold on. This thing that's coming down, this city is coming down, but the city is a bride. Do you all see it? The place is a person. The place is people. This city is a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, that's the tabernacle of God, is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Eternal life is pictured as a wedding ceremony and a bride and a groom. Follow me. When, when I got married to Jeff, and I'm standing there like, you know, like an awkward nerd, right? And the door opens in the back, right? And this heavenly beauty enters. Right, Jeff? Yeah. Heavenly beauty. Am I thinking about the church that we're being married in? Like in that moment, she's right there. Am I like, look at that stain on that pew right there. What's going on? Am, am, I, am I thinking about the color scheme of the wedding? Am I thinking about the air conditioning? Am I thinking about the roof or the foundation? Am I thinking about the property value of the bill? No, she's there. Y'all follow me? I don't care about the building. My girl is there. Same way with us. <laughs> how, about, how about the grandma that instead of downsizing, builds a bigger house? Not because she needs it, but because she wants her babies and her grandbabies to all come and be in the house together. She doesn't care about the house. She cares about the babies and the grandbabies that are going to come and be with her. Eternal life is a person it is not a place. It's a primary. It's primarily a person, not a place. Now, you may say, Jamie, that's a little bit of a stretch. It's not what the text says. You're kind of, you've got an agenda. You're, you're, you're trying to push this relational thing. 
it's, it's not really in the text. You may push that on me. You may actually say, hey, Jamie, don't you remember? Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. So you might say to me, it's a little bit too much. You've pushed it too far. Okay, let's let Jesus define eternal life. How about that? Would the creator of the universe know what eternal life is? I bet he would. Let's let Jesus define, because there's a, a point where Jesus says, this is eternal life, equal sign. Let's see what he says. This is John 17, 3. He's praying to the Father. Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they, disciples, would know you, Abba, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus defines eternal life as knowing the Father and knowing the Son. And the knowing is not an intellectual, cognitive knowledge. It is gnosko. It's experiential, relational, personal, intimate knowing. Not knowing about, knowing personally. Eternal life, everyone look right at me. Eternal life is knowing God, not knowing about Him, knowing Him personally, intimately, relationally, connected. I hear His voice. I know Him. I follow Him. That is eternal life, what Jesus says. I know Him. Paul says, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. Paul didn't say, I want a mansion in glory. He didn't say that. I want to know Him. I want to know Him. So, we can know about, like I'm a fantasy football player. I love fantasy football. Not really sure what's going to happen this fall. But a couple years, I've had Andy Dalton on my team. Being here in Cincinnati, you guys know who that is. I could know all the stats about Andy Dalton. I could know how many interceptions he threw uh, over his touchdown rate. I can know all this information, but how many of you know, I don't know Andy Dalton. I do not know him. I know a lot of things about him, but I don't know him. I don't know him personally. Right now he's backing up Dak Prescott and my beloved Dallas Cowboys. But I don't know him. I haven't had dinner with him. I don't know what his voice sounds like. He doesn't know me. I don't have his number. There's no relational connection. I know about him, but I don't know him. The same is true with God. Many of us know about him, but we don't know him. Knowing, this, knowing the Bible does not guarantee that you know the God of the Bible. Memorizing the text doesn't mean that you know God. Going to Bible studies does not mean that you know God. Listening to podcasts doesn't mean that you know God. You could have gotten every single of these worship streams since the time we started. It does not mean that you know God. You may know about him, but you don't know him. It's entirely possible to go to church every week be involved in small groups, read the Bible every single morning, memorize scripture, give money, and not know God. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. This is for the purpose of getting to know intimately and relationally Jesus and the Father and the Spirit. And that is eternal life. So I'm, I read, the reason I get up in the morning and I read the Bible is because I want to grow in friendship with the Father. 
the reason when I'm really tired and, and I'm like, I, I don't know that I want to do my quiet time. I don't know that I really want to pray this morning. The reason I do it is because there's an important relationship in my life that I want to grow and develop. So we read the Bible, but the goal is Jesus, who's, who's coming through the Bible. Are you all seeing me? Pray, I pray not because I'm checking it off the I'm praying because that's how I talk to my Father who is in heaven. And I need him. It's entirely possible to go to church all your life, read the Bible, pray, and not be born again. And to not have eternal life. It's the difference between knowing about and knowing personally. Third misconception that we see in the text here. Third misconception. Eternal life, this is a misconception people have. Eternal life is awarded based on my goodness. I would say this is very common. This is probably the, the predominant view in our culture right now. If I'm a good person, I go to heaven when I die. Which, you've already mistook the whole heaven piece, but, you know. If I'm good, if I do more good things than bad things, I'm good. I go to the good place. Everything is fine. If you look back, uh, Tuesday of this week, August 11th, the Christian Post had an article. This is the title of the article. It was, it was some research done by Arizona Christian University. They surveyed U.S. Christians. This is the title of the article. Over half of U.S. Christians believe good works will get them into heaven. Let me, let me just say that again. Over half of U.S. Christians believe good works will get them into heaven. Here's a quote from the article. A majority of U.S. Christians believe that a person can qualify for heaven by being or doing good. It's like a weird karma thing. Like, if I do enough good things, when I die, I get good things. But if I do bad things, when I die, I experience bad things. That's not true. That, none of that is true. That's not the way eternal life works. Like, if I say, well, compared to Hitler, I'm awesome. <laughs> I squished an ant once, but I didn't kill an entire people group. I should go to heaven. So let's just look at the text. Let's just look at the text, what it says. Verses 5 to 7, Revelation 21, 5 to 7. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new, both heaven and earth. Also, he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. Can you hear Jesus on the cross? It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Everybody say, without payment. He says, you will get from the water of life without payment. Without payment. Without payment. I know this is annoying. I just want to make, without payment. Without payment. There's nothing that you pay. That's called free. Without payment. Okay, I, I don't think y'all are hearing me. Eternal life is available without payment on your behalf. 
If you're thirsty, come. This is an allusion to Isaiah 55. In fact, the entire book of Revelation has just got Isaiah all over it. Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 3. This is from the New Living Translation. The prophet says this. Is anyone thirsty? By the way, thirsty is a, a metaphor for life. Does anybody need life? Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink, even if you have no money. Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. Covenant love. Jesus put it this way. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. John 7, 37, 38. By the way, the last day of the feast, that's the Feast of Tabernacles, by the way, the dwelling place. It's just a great connection. Anyway, everyone, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Three chapters earlier, Jesus sees a woman at the well. He looks at this woman who's getting water out of the well. He says, listen, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Thirst is a metaphor for eternal life, and it's free to anyone who will come and drink. Question is, have you ever heard the phrase, nothing's free? You know what I'm saying? You ever seen a commercial? Free. Nothing is free. Someone pays. You hear me? Someone pays. If you get something for free, the creator of that product is paying. Someone is paying. If you receive something free, someone is paying for you to receive something free. You drink water, someone has provided the resources to pay for that water. Nothing is free. And I have good news for you. Jesus has paid for this eternal life for you. Jesus has paid. Jesus himself has paid. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in, the, in order that the world might be saved through him. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life is paid for by Jesus. Your thirst is quenched by Jesus. You enter into a relationship. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. Eternal life is knowing the Father, and no one comes to him except through me. You see, Jesus dying on the cross purchases relational intimacy between the Father and you. He dies in your place. So that as an enemy of God, you could be restored and adopted back into his family. 
But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you have been saved. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. I'm saying all of this to say, you cannot earn your way into eternal life. You cannot. It doesn't work that way. Eternal life is entered in when I say, I'm not good enough. Jesus has died in my place. And I trade my sin for his righteousness. And now I am the righteous beloved of God and I walk into newness of life with the Father. I am adopted into this family. Faith in Jesus brings us eternal life. You can do all the good things you want. It will not earn eternal life. It's only by faith. So the good news is inclusive. Anyone can come. Anyone. Anyone. It's exclusive in that you must come through Jesus. So anyone can come and have eternal life. But it has been paid by Jesus. It must come through Christ. Last misconception. And easily the most difficult. <laughs> and I will not have time to address it fully. Because God is love, hell isn't real. It's a misconception. It's a false belief. Because God is love, hell isn't real. Some people say love wins. Depends on how you define that. <laughs> yeah, love does win. But that doesn't mean that there's not eternal separation from God in hell. Let's just look at the text. Verses 6 to 8. And he said to me, it is done. This is the, the one on the throne. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But. Y'all see that word? See a little conjunction? But. It's an important word says, I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The concept of adoption, I talked about this last week. When we are adopted into the family of God, all our relational debts, all of our, the way we completely identify ourselves is completely um, done away with, and we are identified 100% by the Father who gave the Son, and we put his faith in Jesus. So, so Jamie was this pre-Jesus. This is who Jamie was. I placed my faith in Christ who died on the cross for me and was raised again. Placed my faith, I am born again of the Spirit, and now I am a new creation. I am something new. And that new identity is 100% defined by the Father in heaven through Christ. So this is what I was in Christ. This is who I am now. And so, so God is, is listing this, what you could call like a vice list. And these vice lists are actually common throughout Scripture. The 
this is one of many. Here's, here's another one, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I realize that that is a politically uncorrect statement. But you've got to understand, you know, in the world right now, many people will look at Christianity and say, you're just a bunch of bigots and you're prejudiced against me. And some people in Christianity are. But, but Christianity itself, understood rightly, is not prejudiced against anyone. Because listen what Paul says. After he lists all of these things, what does he say? 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here, here's a truth. Every single one of us outside of Christ is all of these things. We have broken the law. We're rotten. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A Christian who looks at someone outside of, of faith in Christ and goes, look at that, look at that. That person doesn't understand grace. Because outside of Christ, I am that. I'm just like that. We are all in the same boat. The only difference between the believer and the non-believer is the believer has said, I'm taking the new identity in Christ. And then I'm dealing with the habits and behaviors of my old self. We are all ungodly outside of Christ. So the Christian can't look at someone else and go, I'm better than you. No, you're not. Believer, we're not better than them. We're exactly like them. Only thing that's different is faith in Christ, who has washed us and made us clean. And now we're dealing with our junk by the power of the Holy Spirit to submit that stuff to Christ. Hell is a real place, friends. Look at verses 14 and 15 of the same chapter. The wall of the city, I'm sorry, verse of chapter 20. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The truth is, outside of Jesus Christ, we will all be separated from God forever. The Bible calls it here a lake of fire, a place of conscious torment forever forever outside of faith in Christ when we die we will experience hell and separation from God forever it's a serious thing I want to commend a book to you C.S. Lewis's The Problem of Pain you should read the whole book but especially chapter 8. Dr. Lewis wrote chapter 8. He entitled the chapter, Hell. <laughs> if, I could, if I had time, I would read this entire chapter right now. But I don't have that time. Let me just read a, a portion of what Dr. Lewis said. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this. 
if it lay in my power. <laughs> I, I feel that. I, I don't know about you. But <laughs> it has the full support of Scripture and especially of our Lord's own words. It has been held high in Christendom, and it has the support of reason. If a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. He goes on through, makes several arguments, both moral arguments, logical arguments. This is why I'm just encouraging you to just read it. He ends the chapter like this. discussing the fact that God has created us with free will. He says this. I believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end. The doors of hell are locked on the inside. I do not mean that the ghosts may not wish to come out of hell in the vague fashion wherein an envious man wishes to be happy but they certainly do not will even the first preliminary stages of that self-abandonment through which alone the soul can reach any good. What, what's Dr. Lewis saying? When I say no to Jesus, when I say, no, you are not glorious, no, you are not good, no, you did not die for me, no, you are not God, no, I will not submit to you, no, I will not receive forgiveness of sins, when I die, Lewis's argument is, I will continue in that state of no. He says, the doors of hell are locked on the inside. It's not so much like, oh no, I'm in this, oh no, I should have made a different decision if someone had just told me. No, it is a, it is a rebellious heart that says no to God and continues to say no to God. Now, that doesn't solve that doesn't solve the in my own heart about the subject of hell. But what I do know is it is real, and outside of Christ, all of us will experience it. But because of Christ and by faith in him, we will never experience it. We will be with him forever. But outside of Christ, outside of placing my faith and belief in Jesus that he died for me and was raised for me, outside of that, I will be separated from him forever. And we must allow that truth to do something in us. Listen, when, at, when you wake up in the morning and you go outside and get your mail, let's say, or you, you pick up the newspaper. Do people do that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> newspaper and mail. You got your coffee and your slipper. I don't do that, but you know. When you do that, there are people on your street that are not in Christ. And if they die, they will be eternally separated from him forever. And yet, we don't share. I don't share. There's something, there's something wrong in the mind and in the heart that says, yes, this is gospel orthodox truth, but my life actually is not changed by it. I betray the fact that I don't really believe it's true. But whether I believe it or not, it is true. And I have neighbors who outside of faith in Christ, when they die, will be eternally separated from him forever. And I'm worried about them looking at me like I'm a weirdo. I'm worried about being embarrassed for a minute and a half. Shoot, I, may, I mean, they may look at me weird for the rest of the time that I live at that house, 
but that pales in comparison to eternity. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? I'm, I'm preaching. This is good preaching. I'm preaching to myself. So personally for us, and that's not even really the big deal. Personally, everyone listening right now, you have to answer the question, do I know him? And even better yet, does he know me? Hear the words of Jesus. By the way, we're going to be looking at this next week. Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do many mighty works in your name? Didn't I give my money to MCC in your name? Didn't I serve on the elder board of my church? Didn't I lead my small group? Didn't I do this thing? Didn't I go on that prayer walk? Didn't I go to prayer meeting? Didn't I read the Bible? Didn't I do my quiet time? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Every single one of us needs to ask the question, not only do I know him, does he know me? H have I placed my faith in Jesus, and am I walking in a relationship where we are growing deeper and deeper in friendship and communion from now on? We all have to answer the question, and it is an eternally significant question to answer. Do you know him? Practical application, then we'll finish. Practical application number one, come to Jesus today and drink. Come to Jesus today. Like, let's say I've been talking and you realize I'm not in Christ. And you simply say to God, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that my sins were put on you on the cross. And you died in my place. And you were raised victorious over my sin and death. I place my trust in you as my God. And then follow him for the rest of your life. And walk with him. Come to Jesus. And that's true for everybody. We need to come to Jesus. I need to drink again of Jesus. I need to be reminded of good news again. I don't have to prove myself. Jesus has proved himself for me in the eyes of the Father. I need to be reminded again the good news of the Father. Second application, ask for 2020 vision. Ask for 2020 vision. This is what I was talking about earlier at the beginning of the message. The entire book of Revelation is cast, all the bad things that happen are cast underneath the shadow of the king that he is still in control. Like all the stuff that, you can just read it. Every bad thing that happens is still in the context of the glorious king. And I think all of us need eyes, our eyes to be rechecked and reset and recalibrated in 2020. Because right now, I know me personally, I'm looking at every single thing else and worried about it other than the king who is on the throne. So ask for 2020 vision to see the king. Thirdly, Start enjoying eternal life right now. You don't have to wait until you die to experience eternal life. Jesus has provided access to the Father right now. That's the already, 
already and not yet of the kingdom of God. We can experience it now. We don't experience it in all of its glory, but we experience a portion of it now. So start enjoying relationship. How would you grow in relationship with anyone else? You talk to them? You spend time with them? You do stuff together. How about you practice the presence of God, you listen for his voice in the word and the spirit speaking to you, and you pray, and you live life with him. How about that? Fourthly, set your mind on things above. You ever heard the phrase, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. That phrase is not true. When we set our minds on things above, where God is and where Christ is, we're actually functioning fully as we were created to be. Colossians 3, set your minds on things above. And then finally, Live and eat in anticipation at the table. Jesus, when he established the Lord's Supper, he looked at his disciples, he says, this is the cup. And we're gonna go into, I'm going to dismiss you and we're going to go into communion. We're going to end the service and go right into communion. He says, this is the cup, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. As often as you drink this, drink it in remembrance of me. He says, this is my body. He took bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat it, remember me. And then he said something really interesting. He held that cup. He says, I tell you, I will never drink this again until I drink it with you in eternity. Jesus is waiting to drink and eat until we get there, Revelation 21. It's a wedding feast. (laughs) Listen, when we come to the table and we eat and drink, yes, there are elements that are somber, but I'm also anticipating a wedding feast. I'm anticipating the moment I get to see Jesus face to face. I will drink this wine slash grape juice as a way of saying, I'm going to get to see him. And I eat this bread not because, oh, it's this the crusty bread. I hope it's not gluten. No, no. I'm eating and I'm anticipating the day that I get to eat it with him. I sit at the table. Have you ever had a meal? And gosh, during this time of isolation, we feel it, don't we? I was on a Zoom call and I saw Jamie Fike. And I literally, in my heart, I was like, I miss this guy. I want to give this guy a huge hug. And Jesus is that way with you at an infinite level and he's waiting. Like, coronavirus is going to go away, and I'm going to have some of the best meals with some of my best friends. I cannot wait to drink some of the best wine and eat some of the best food and laugh and tell stories and be with my family. Do you all hear me? And if I feel that way, imagine what the creator of the universe who died for you is saying, that's my girl. She's coming. She's coming. I can't wait to eat with her. I can't wait to be with her. I can't wait to experience her face to face. We will become like him. We will see him as he is. Don't eat the, wine. Don't eat the bread and drink the wine as a boring ritual act. Eat it as an anticipation of what is coming forever eating and drinking and laughing and telling stories forever with the one whom your soul loves and who loves you perfectly.
that's eternal life. And you can get a glimpse, glimpse of it right now. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And I, I just invite you. I know it's weird on the screen. I know it's weird, and it feels weird to sing by yourself in your house. But I'm asking you to sing as fully as you can. And then I'm going to bless you. And then we're going to go to the table, and we'll release you to drink the cup and eat the bread and look forward to the day when we will eat and feast with him forever. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have provided us access to Abba. Thank you that even when we were enemies of yours, you died for us, you loved us. I thank you that when I was your enemy and I was spitting in your face and I wanted to have nothing to do with you, even before that, you died for me. You loved me and you died for me. And you loved and died the, for the entire world that we could come and receive forgiveness and mercy. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would awaken again passion and zeal that we would marvel at this Jesus. That there would be 10,000 reasons to bless you and then infinite reasons more. May we praise you. May we sing to you. May we glorify you all the days of our life and for millennia after millennia after millennia after millennia. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together.